I'm excited this morning about what God has put on my heart and what I believe is for all of us today and in the coming weeks. We're going to start a series today, a short one, on purpose, on the purpose in our life. And we're going to look at purpose through the eyes of Elijah. Elijah is a prophet in the Old Testament, and he's one of my favorite people in the Bible to look at. There's so many stories and and lessons we can learn from the life of Elijah. We're just going to pick a few out from his life to look at what purpose is and what it means in our life, okay? And this is kind of a heavy topic this morning. I'm going to warn you, I may go off on several different rabbit trails, but just trust me and and let's trust the Lord together that it's going to be him speaking and not me. And as we do that, as we prepare, why don't we pray this morning? Father, we love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. We thank you so much, God, that your word is true that when you say that you inhabit the praises of your people, you, you weren't just making that up. We saw that this morning, God. We saw that a room full of sinners, as we lift up your name, you join us. God, it's not about what we do. It's not about what we offer. It's about the goodness and the love and the mercy and the grace that you have to come join us. So God, we give you this time. God, we pray, Lord, that you would speak that you would speak, Father, that your word would come alive for us today, God, and that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive what you want to say to us this morning. God, already I pray, Jesus, that chains would be broken, Lord, that there would be freedom in this place, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so... Elijah, it's a funny start to to the story of Elijah. If you look in in, uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, you know, you have, to, you have to consider who Elijah is. He's one of the major prophets of the Old Testament. And how he, he is introduced to us is, is kind of funny to me. There's no grand entrance to Elijah in, in, in the Old Testament. There's no, uh, you know, Prince Ali Ababwa parade that goes down, you know, that announces his grand triumphant entry to the reader, okay? It says this in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba. That's how the reader is introduced to Elijah. Not once there was this guy, and this is how we grew up, and this is what happened. It just says, hey, there's this guy, Elijah. He's a Tishbite from Tishba. And then it just starts going on with his story. And, but what's important to know about that is Tishba was this town that was really, like, it was like a dot on the map, if it, if it was even on the map. I don't know if you've ever driven through a rural part of the country on a back road, and you'll see this small little sign on the side of it that says, now entering fill in the blank, Tishba, we'll say. And you're, as you're driving, there's nothing there. Maybe there's a gas station or maybe, maybe there's a blinking traffic light. Not a real traffic light, just a blinking traffic light. And then before you know it, you're out of that town. That's what Tishba was like. And so already in that opening verse, what we learn about Elijah is he was not born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He did not have these amazing qualifications, this long list of things that he had done and accomplished that qualified him for the purpose that God had for him. He was Elijah, a Tishbite from Tishba. That's it. And God had a purpose for him that was great. So before we go any further, what we need to understand is it's not about our resume. It's not about building all these things and, and collecting all these qualifications to fulfill the purpose that God has in our life. Because so many times we stop short of what God has for us because we say, I'm not qualified. I don't have enough. I'm just from Tishba. But as we see here, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba was used mightily 
by God. And what I want to do this morning is I actually want to fast forward towards the end of the story of Elijah because there's a very valuable lesson in there that I believe if we don't grasp first, it's always going to be hard for us to understand purpose in our life. Not just what it is, but the point of it as well. And so we're going to pick up the story of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19, but in order to, to, to understand that, we have to know what happened in chapter 18. And in chapter 18, to me, is one of the greatest stories in all of the Bible, not just the Old Testament. I love what happens in chapter 18. But I think what we really need to understand is what happens in chapter 19. In chapter 18, Elijah has basically challenges all these false prophets in the king, ultimately, to a, what I call a God-off, all right? Where he's going to pit God, uppercase G, with all the false prophets, lowercase g, gods, okay? Because what has happened is these Persian uh, rulers and kings and ultimately the queen has said, we're going we're gonna to introduce Baal, this false god, into your life. And all the Israelites begin kind of going that way. They begin going the way of Baal and these other false gods. And, and Elijah says, all right, we're going to do this for two reasons. To bring the people of Is, uh, the Israelites back to God. And also to get rid of all these false prophets. So he proposes, hey, how about we do this? And I'm paraphrasing this whole story. You should really go read it. It's really good. He says, we're going to build an altar too. I'm going to build mine. You're going to build yours. You're going to pray and sacrifice to your gods. And you're going to pray that your gods light it on fire. And then when you're done, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to sacrifice a bull. I'm going to pray to my uppercase G God. And I'm going to pray that he would light my altar on fire. And so they say, that sounds good. And these false prophets spent from dawn till dusk, the Bible says, praying, they're dancing around, they even begin cutting themselves, practicing all sorts of witchcraft, begging their gods to light this fire. Elijah, meanwhile, is basically over there trash-talking them. Hey, maybe your gods are out of town, maybe they're going to the bathroom, got some stomach issues, too busy. And so finally they stop, and then Elijah goes up, and again, I'm paraphrasing, he, he prays a simple prayer, basically, God, here it is, show them who's boss. And God lights this altar on fire. Elijah had dug a trench around the altar, filled it with all this water. And it says, the Bible says the fire was so hot, it soaked up the water. And the story doesn't end there. After all that happens, he slaughters over 800 prophets. It's crazy what happens on this mountain. But to me, what's even crazier is what happens in the next chapter, something that we really need to learn and understand. Because what happened to Elijah in chapter 18 is he had this amazing mountaintop experience. And we have mountaintop experiences all the time. Some are spiritual. Hopefully this morning has been a mountaintop experience for you. Hopefully church every Sunday is. Sometimes it takes on different looks. If It's a, the birth of a new child, getting married, a new job, grandchildren. We have these mountaintop experiences in our life, and they're awesome, but eventually, we got to come down the mountain. we got to come down the mountain, and once we do that, that's where the rubber meets the road. And so we're going to look at what happens to Elijah when he comes down the mountain in chapter 19 of 1 Kings. So let's pick it up right at the beginning in verse 1. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Ahab is the king, Elijah, or, uh, Jezebel is his queen, and he's giving her a report of everything that happened on Mount Carmel. Verse 2 says, So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that 
of one of them. So here's the thing about Jezebel. She's really the one controlling everything in the kingdom. She is the puppet master, so to speak, to her king Ahab. And she's the one that has introduced Baal. She's the one that has been killing all these prophets of God. And she is mad. Listen to the words she says, though, to, uh, to Elijah, the, the message that she, she sends. May the gods, lowercase g, deal with me, be it ever so severely. She is using, as a threat, the gods who were just defeated the day before, right? She is using these gods where these prophets have been killed and slaughtered who for all day long prayed and cut themselves and danced around with nothing happening. She threatens Elijah with those gods. It's an empty threat. And let me say this, every single threat of the enemy on your life is an empty threat. Every single one of them. How do I know that? Because he has no power over us. The enemy has absolutely no power over us. How do I know that? Because of Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, who died on the cross and was risen again, once that happened and we accept him into our life as our Lord and Savior and he writes his name on, on his palm and we're under his wing and under his protection, it's it. That's it. The enemy has no control over us. So every threat is an empty threat unless we give him power. The only way that the enemy can have power over our life is we open the door and say, you now have power over me and we believe the empty threat. That's it. The sad thing is, we open that door and believe it way too much. Way too much. And we see here that Elijah is no different. Starting in verse 3, it says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. 24 hours had passed since he saw God send fire so hot that it soaked up water around the altar. 24 hours since he slaughtered over 800 false prophets. But he came down the mountain and he believed the empty threat of the enemy. And it says that he was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. He believed the empty threat. And in that, to the point where he asked God to kill him. You could say that at that point, he was suicidal. He believed the empty threat to the point where he wanted God to take his life. And I believe also part of that is he had done this amazing thing, and it was over. And so in that moment, he felt like, I have no purpose. What am I going to do now? The most vulnerable that we are in our life is not in the ho-hum days when things are just whatever. The times when we're the most vulnerable are after great victories because we're tired, we've given everything, and we're just weak. And I'm going to be very candid with you all this morning. The times where I am the most vulnerable are not during the week. It's as soon as I say amen up here and I take that eight-foot walk back to my guitar 
and we begin to enter back into worship after a sermon. In those eight feet, that was the worst sermon ever. You're going to get fired. That entire thing was blasphemy. No more Disney trips. Your in-laws are going to kick you out of the family. No more Jags games. I don't know how we're going to pay for this third kid. In eight feet. That's all it takes. When we have great victories, don't think that the devil relents in those. That is when we are at our weakest. And we see Elijah 24 hours after this amazing miracle. Tell God, take my life. I'm done. All because he believed the empty threat of the enemy, this woman Jezebel. You know, the thing about Jezebel, the scholars have referred to her as Satan's woman of the hour. She was bad news. We're having a third girl. Guess what we're not naming her? (laughs) It ain't going to be Jezebel. If anyone was wondering. Something that didn't make matters wor- uh, better, things that made, something that made matters worse with Elijah was he was alone. It says that he left his servant behind and he went and he sat under this bush and he was alone. It's a lot easier to believe these empty threats in our life when we isolate ourselves, when we just get by ourselves and we retract and we shrink away, which is so often the temptation when we're faced with these empty threats, is I'm just going to be by myself. But we're a part of a body. We're a part of a group of believers that says that we are a royal priesthood, that we should never believe the empty threats of the enemy. So if you find yourself in that place where you feel that you are helpless and that you have nothing to offer, the last thing that you need to do is shrink away and be by yourself. Because that allows you to start believing the lies of the enemy, the empty threats of the enemy. He says, take my life, which is a rather bold statement. But what I think is more impressive and something that we really need to look at is not Elijah's plea, but it's God's response. Because what God does in this moment with Elijah is he first lets him rest. It says that after he said this, he fell asleep. If you missed our sermon on rest a couple weeks ago, go listen to it. It's online. It's important because how our culture views rest and how God views rest are two very different things. God gave Elijah time to rest. He gives him food to eat. And then he lets him rest again. But then he gives him something that is very important. He gives him a job to do. Listen to what it says here starting in verse 15. It says, The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came. And go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel Mehalah to succeed you as prophet. Do not in any way underestimate the power of purpose in your life. Don't underestimate it. It is life-giving. It fills us with joy. It gives us something to do. And so many times God has said, I have something for you to do. And you're saying, no, I'm just going to sit here under this bush. I don't have the strength. You know what it doesn't say in 1 Kings 19? It doesn't say that Elijah got up and everything was suddenly better. And all of his problems went away. 
And he stopped feeling lonely. And he stopped feeling tired. But it does say that he got up and he did the thing that God called him to do. The point, don't wait for everything to be hunky-dory when God's called you to go do something. Just go do it. The healing happens in the doing. It doesn't happen before. But we, we wait. We wait. I'm not really feeling like it. I still feel alone. I don't feel good. I'm saying, the job's right here. You want the medicine. It's the purpose that I've given you. Well, my, this purpose isn't as big as yesterday's purpose. God doesn't measure purpose like that. It's about our obedience in that moment. But we can get so caught up in what happened yesterday that we make this thing feel trivial. And so we dismiss it and continue to sit under the bush. It's, if God has called you to something, it is not trivial. It is not trivial in any way. I read this the other day and it's, it's tough. It said, evil is not infinite. It is not worthy of a lifetime of attention. To some, ill health is a way to feel important. We like to give evil in our life so much life. We pour water on it. We make sure it's healthy. And all while God is saying, I have something for you that will bring healing. I have purpose for you. Instead, we just continue to dwell in it. And that becomes our identity. That becomes what makes us feel important. But sorrow can be finite if we get out from under the bush and accept what God has for us. If we accept the purpose, the job that he has for us in that moment. There is an end. Does it happen as soon as we get up? No, but it's the first step. And I wonder what would happen if Elijah in that moment had said, you know what, God, I did a, had a big day yesterday. This seems kind of small. I'm just going to stay here. I wonder if the end of his life would have looked the same way. And I, I don't know, but I wonder if he would have still gotten taken up in a chariot of fire with uh, fiery horses. He had an amazing end. He wanted it to end there. God said, no, 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 no. I got something way better for you. But you got to get out. You got to get out. God has a purpose for each one of you. And we, we measure, we, we think of purpose as one singular thing. It's this big, grandioso deal. It's this fire from heaven moment. And that has to be it. And we do have that, each one of us, I believe, 150%. But there's also those little purposes throughout the day that we need to walk in as well. Those moments of obedience where he's calling us to do something that might seem trivial, but in actuality will give us great, great joy and great, great life. But we have to get out from under the bush. You know, the reason that threats come is because, is because your purpose is great. And the reason that I, that I know that is because purpose in our life is God-created. And it's God-given. And I dare you to name something that God has created that is his purpose that is not amazing, that is not spectacular. So if he created it and he gave it to you, then it is amazing. And I don't say that because I look at you and, and I'm so confident in you, in your abilities. I, 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 I know that and I believe that because of God and his abilities over you. 
And we look in the mirror and we, we say, purpose for me? All I see is me. And we forget that God gave the same God that created the universe and the stars and these songs that Ben talked about earlier and the ocean and all these amazing things that we can have awe and wonder over. But when it comes to our purpose, no, 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 no. That can't be good. Well, if God created it, chances are it's amazing. So stop looking at yourself in it. Start putting your confidence and your trust in what God has created for you. Don't let the empty threats tell you that you don't have enough, that you're not qualified, that you haven't done enough. I still have over a year of school left. There are several people in this church, maybe even the majority, that know way more about the Bible than I do. But I learned from day one that this is not about me. I am not up here because I am awesome. It's despite what Jesse might tell you. <laughs> At every turn and every Facebook post that she writes. Love you. <sighs> yeah, I gotta go home to that. It's gonna be so much for watching the Jags game today. It's about the Lord. What is your purpose? The devil wouldn't bother sending empty threats if he wasn't worried about the purpose in your life. He would have bigger fish to fry. But the fact that he threatens us all the time and tries to tell us all these lies, that we're not good enough, that we don't measure up, that we don't have a resume, that we're only Elijah Tishbite from Tishba, tells you all you need to know about the call of God on your life. And if you are sitting under the bush this morning, maybe even have said, God, take my life. You need to know right now that he has a purpose for you that is incredible, that is amazing. And he's just waiting for you to take that step, not by yourself, with the church body. So come on with it. I'm gonna have the band come back up. We're gonna close and we're gonna enter back into worship. And I wanna say this too, we're not gonna be in a hurry this morning. We only get Kathleen and Ben this one time, so we're gonna use them up. <laughs> but I want to read this to you. This is from Eugene Peterson, an author I've been reading lately, and he says this. He says, we think that what we do determines his effectiveness, God's effectiveness. We think that what we do determines God's effectiveness, and we fail to see that this is the position of a pagan towards an idol, not a creature bowed before the Creator. It's not how God works. God is not dependent on us. He is not dependent on our abilities. He uses us despite us. We are dependent on him. And that's the great thing about purpose and the call on your life. We talked about it last week. Because it's in our weakness that God's power is made perfect. So when we respond to this call we realize that it's greater than we could ever imagine and it forces us to be dependent on him. And the instruction that God gives us when responding to the call, how do we do it, is found in John chapter 15, verse four. Jesus tells us this, remain in me. Remain in me. As I also remain in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. 
neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Then he goes on to say, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. That's it. That's the promise. That's the guarantee. But here's something that should kind of scare us a little bit. Here's what he also says. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You might be saying, God, I know I have this purpose in my life, and I'm trying. Why aren't I accomplishing anything? It's because we're not remaining in him. We've taken this call on our own and said, okay, thanks, God. Now I'm going to go do it. And instead of abiding in him, we've separated ourselves from him. And we're beating ourselves against the wall saying, what is going on? And it leads to frustration. It leads to doubt. It leads to worry. And ultimately, it leads us all by ourselves under a bush saying, God, I'm done. All because we've stopped abiding in him. It's his purpose for you. It's his calling for you. It's not about us and how we, uh, you know, our effectiveness It's about him using us and and working through us. And let me tell you something. When God is working through you, there is no better way to feel alive in the world. That is what it's all about. So we're going to stand up this morning and we're going to pray. And I want to pray for all of you this morning that feel like you've been under that broom bush. You've been saying some things and feeling some things that are heavy, that you're alone that you're ready for God to take your life, that you don't have a purpose, that your life is meaningless, you've just been wandering around aimlessly, that you had this great experience and you're thinking, now what, God? Check this out. I was reading this, or watching, excuse me, this documentary on Bill Gates on Netflix the other day, and it ended, it was a three-part series, and in the very end, it goes to his mom who's since passed, and she says this thing, and in the context of the documentary, it's really building Bill Gates up. It's a, she says, what, whatever expectations you have of yourself, you'll tend to meet them. And the point was, Bill Gates had huge expectations for himself, and he met them. And I get that. You know, that's the whole self-fulfilling prophecy thing. If you wake up every morning and say that you're a loser and that you're a failure, chances are that's what's going to, you know, come from your life. If you wake up every morning and say, I'm, gonna, I'm amazing and I'm going to do this job and it's going to be great, you're probably going to do that. And that's, that's fine. But when I heard her say that, I actually got a little sad. And, and you know, because that's, that is what the world thinks. That what we think of ourselves determines how we land. And here's the great, great difference between that theory and depending on ourselves and God. When we put our expectation in God, He never meets that expectation, ever. He blows the roof off of that expectation. Every single time, your purpose is not about you and what you bring to the table. It's what God has hand-selected for you to do so that when we get there, we can say with complete honesty, this is the Lord. There's no way I could do this on my own. It's despite me because of him and his love and his grace for my life. So let's just lay that burden down of us trying to do it ourselves. And let's give it to the Lord and and expect our expectations of him to be far surpassed by what he really does. Pastors and elders, come forward. We're going to enter back into worship. If you need prayer this morning, we want you to come up. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let me tell you something. You're not here by accident. 
His purpose for you this morning is to get to know him, to be set free and to give your life fully and wholly to a God that loves you and will lead you on a path greater than you could ever imagine. If you need prayer for anything else, we'll pray for that too. We're a praying church. So get out of your seat. Maybe the first purpose for you is to come up and get prayed for you never have in your life. Maybe that's what God's calling to you first. We can sit under the bush even in church, believe it or not. It's time to step out. Be in faith. Father, thank you so much for your truth, for your example, for your unfailing love. God, you have called your people who neglect you, who put ourselves before you, who doubt you. God, you look at us and you say, I have amazing things for you. You want to give us life, Lord. We receive it, Father. We receive it, Lord. Forgive us for thinking it was about us and what we can offer. We are your servants. We are your vessels. God, I pray that as we take that step, as we get out from under the bush, the healing will begin. As you give us purpose, as you give us a job, as you give us life, the healing will begin. That we wouldn't believe for a second the empty threats of a very fearful enemy. But we would look to you, our champion, our victor, as our hope. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, God. Amen.